Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. I think one of the best parts about our model is when I sit here and I say we exist for this region and we exist to provide healthy female role models and we exist to, you know, hopefully benefit the region and to hopefully, you know, something that they can be proud of. I genuinely mean it. This week, we're peeling back the layers on one of the youngest clubs in the WNBL, the Townsville Fire, and explore its success over the last decade. We're joined by the Fire's General Manager, Sam Pascoe, with her experience in business development alongside their four-season head coach, Shannon Seabone, each working to their strengths in a dynamic pairing that drives the growth, culture and presence of the only professional women's sporting team in the whole of Northern Australia to provide strong and highly engaged female role models for their regional community. It's a revealing glimpse into one of the more remote WNBL teams and in attracting some of the best talent is a testament to the legacy of the team and what Sam and Shannon work together with the team to create on and off the court in a show of strength in numbers. This is a fascinating one. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin, it's the general manager of Townsville Fire, Sam Pascoe, along with their head coach, Shannon Seabone. Sam, Shannon, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, guys, I really want to talk about Townsville and the Townsville Fire as a team and the, the fan engagement around it for a little bit because you guys seem to have a really unique engagement up there. How does this happen? Is it just because it's Townsville? What are you guys doing in terms of engaging with the fan base and, and engaging with the community? It strikes me that the team has this really interesting relationship with the people of Townsville. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's a lot of reasons. I think Shannon and I are really lucky and we came into an, a club and an organisation that was already really successful and already had a great fan base. I think that that is for a few factors. One, we really love our sport up in North Queensland. Towns are also really like winners um, and the fire did quite a good job at that for those consecutive years and those three championships. Um, but I think it's also, we were the first club in in the league who 
employed full-time coaches who, you know, who when athletes in the off-season, they remain in Townsville, uh, they play NBL 1 up here and they continue to work within the fire in our community programs. Um, so we've got that constant year-round engagement with the community. But I think we also really value the importance of the fire and the fire brand to the community and those positive healthy female role models we take that really seriously you know as a club basketball is just part of what we do and why we exist and I always try to operate under that mandate and we know the importance um, of our members and you know they're very invested and that's great when you're winning and it's also you know great when you're not (laughs) um but we do, you know, we are consistent. We're always there. We make sure that we attend as much as we can. We open our doors. We, you know, I think every month, even during the season, we have an open training where all the fans and the public can come and watch training and we do community days and meet and greets. And you know, we're constantly there and accessible. And I think that the public really enjoy that. They really enjoy the fact that they're invested and that they feel like, you know, that they have ownership over our club. And yeah, as I said, I think the successfulness of the club in the years gone by has really been helpful towards that as well. Uh, Shannon probably has a good view on it coming from other uh, WNBL clubs and and seeing what that's like too. So his perspective is probably really interesting as well. Mm. Shannon? Yeah, look, I... I mean, I was fortunate enough, obviously, to coach the the Flames there, uh, Paul. You know, when I first met you back in Sydney a few years ago, and um, you know, obviously, when you're in somewhere like Sydney, there's so many different professional sporting codes and and things like that. But whereas, you know, your Townsvilles and um, you know, similar to when I lived in Newcastle for the couple of years, I was there. Um, even in the Waratah League, like I think those regional centres really get behind their their teams a lot more. You know, up here we've got, as Sam said, we have a, a very strong fan base that, are, you know, they're just so passionate about the fire. And, you know, and I think it's great too. Like, uh, you know, my first season here, the team uh, didn't do so well. You, you know, obviously Sam spoke about the winning times, but obviously when you're losing as well, you can see the passion in, in other ways. You know, I go, to, I go to get my coffee on a Saturday morning after a Friday night loss and, you know, you've got three or four people in the coffee shop that follow the team and they're happy to give you their two cents and, you know, let you know what you're doing wrong and what you can, you know, what you can do better to, to try and get the team back on track. And, you know, I think when it first happened, I probably took it, you know, took offence to that. But, you know, now that I've been here for a number of years, you just see how much people care about the club and, and they just want to see us do well. And we're very lucky. We've had a good start to the year so far this year. And, Um, you know, you can really feel it around the town that people are getting behind the team and and just want to see us win. You've touched on a couple of things there which were really interesting. It's about you have come from coaching in Sydney and now you're coaching in Townsville and very different environments. I'm really curious to understand from your point of view how you see the difference in the cities and also the fan engagement within the teams. Because one of the things about Sydney is, like you said, there's a lot of other other teams and a lot of other sports that are going on. Do you think that one of the things that that Sydney has in and of itself as a, as a city is they'll back winners, but if the team's not necessarily having the sort of performance that they would expect, that you're not getting the same sort of engagement as you as you do in Townsville, as you mentioned with that first season? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think any team that is winning games is, is going to get more people jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak. But, you know, it's very unique. Obviously, Sydney's a big place. There's a lot of things going on and people have a lot of different options in terms of what what they might go and do on their Friday night or Saturday night, you know, and those types of things. And it's obviously a lot lot harder in those large cities to, you know, capture the same uh, or be able to have the same engagement with your fans just because, as I said, like there's so many people and it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what areas you would want to go and, you know, do that and try and get people to come and watch your games from. Um, whereas obviously in a place like Townsville, it's, you know, we're very fortunate our players buy into it. Sam and her team do a great job of it. But, you know, we're able to go and kind of engage with not just the community of Townsville, but also the greater region um, up here as well. And, you know, we're the only professional women's sporting team in North Queensland. So, you know, it's from that perspective, you know, and Sam and, and Gemma and the girls in the office do a really good job of, you know, making sure that we're going to as many different places as we can. And as a result, obviously, we have a lot, you know, a lot more ability to catch those supporters and catch those kids that are coming up through the ranks and they drag mum and dad along to a game and then they buy a membership and we kind of go from there. So it's, you know, I think it's been it's been happening up here for quite some time. And as Sam spoke to, I think the... You know, the success the team enjoyed probably over the last 10 years has, has played a large role in, in that. And now we're obviously just continuing to, you know, to follow through with some of those community engagement activities and, and continue that support and that link. Okay. Sam, I'm interested to hear from you, um, you know, speaking a lot about fan engagement, especially of the importance of establishing a team and the fan engagement in a regional area like Shannon touched on. I'm interested to hear from you from an administrative perspective about how much planning and how much lateral thinking goes into the implementation of this fan engagement? Because obviously on the surface we see things like, um, you know, sometimes a team will go to a school or sometimes a team will, you know, sign autographs at the end of the game. But I'm sure there's a lot more layers to that. Are you able to speak a bit more about it? Yeah, look, I think over the last three years in particular, so uh, we're lucky enough to partner with the Queensland government. So we did a $1 million deal with the Queensland government over three years and that was to ensure a whole array of things, but mainly that healthy female role model. So on that, we visit 80 to 90 schools within a two-hour radius of Townsville every year. We run free community camps, which isn't really basketball related. We'll, do, we'll touch on basketball, but it's a lot on, you know, healthy choices, uh, a lot on social media and cyberbullying, and we bring in experts. And we're also really blessed that we're the only organisation in the country that is sponsored by the Australian Defence Force. So we utilise that partnership with our community programs and those kids a lot as well. We run youth engagement programs for at-risk girls. So between the ages of 10 and 17 of at-risk, we run two workshops every year with them. Uh, We go into the juvenile detention centre once a month for a day and do programming and clinics and, uh, again, providing those healthy female role models. And, you know, um, everyone's 
admiring how amazing Stephanie Reed is on the court at the moment, but I've been admiring how amazing Stephanie Reed is for a very long time for very different reasons. She uh, is the driver behind the juvenile detention centre program. She goes uh, every Wednesday, once a month, and spends the entire day at the juvenile detention centre working with the kids in there and, and trying to provide them those healthy female role models to get them back on track along with all your basketball clinics and yes your signings and we engage with the juniors and um, we do all of those type of things as well we also have a junior academy uh, that runs seven months of the year that we have 38 girls in split over two different age groups uh, Shannon touched on it we go out to Julia Creek Mount Isa um, we spend two weeks on the road out there visiting all of those little shires and, you know, the schools and the PCYCs. We do another clinic called Girls Can Ball where we do it in Cairns, Mackay, Townsville. Um, and we actually send the contracted players. It's not, you know, the development players that go to these things. It, it's the contracted players. It's about that engagement. It's Shannon. He does a wonderful job in the community, probably doesn't get enough credit for everything that he does. You know, he goes to those clinics. He coaches the academy every now and then for us. He does a whole heap of different you know activities and it's incredibly important to us but from an administration perspective it's a lot you know we have someone who you know is works on our community aspect full-time and that's their role and that is to make sure that we are engaging with the community and that we're doing all of those Queensland government programs but mainly driving that and reinforcing our message of healthy female role models. So this brings me to an interesting question, Sam. How did you become part of the Townsville Fire? Hmm. So I had my own business for quite a number of years and did a lot of consulting uh, within different the events and sponsorship and business development space. And I saw a unique opportunity with the fire that I thought that they probably weren't getting the credit that they deserved for their success on the court and their work off the court. And I really wanted to be a part of that and do what I could to help grow that. And, you know, an example is the move to the entertainment centre that from Townsville Stadium, that took two years for me to get across the line. And that was because my honest opinion is the most successful sporting team in Northern Australia should be playing in the biggest arena for them. So, you know, they were opportunities that I saw for growth and for development. Shannon can tell you it certainly wasn't the basketball side of life that drew me to the minor. Um, in four years with him, I have certainly gotten better, but uh, it was the other side of it and it was the fact that we have a really strong brand in the North Queensland Cowboys and they do a wonderful job for this region, but there was a really big gap in the female side of it and the reality is is you can't be what you can't see and the fire were there and I just wanted to be able to try and do my best and my part to grow and and develop that as much as I could by taking the role. It must have been a bit of a culture shock, particularly with moving from consulting in that space to sports. How did you find that first little bit of time with the team? Well, I started and within six weeks the head coach resigned, so... It was literally a baptism of fire and then I was – but everything happens for a reason and then 
Shannon arrived. So, you know, that was that was my start. And look, as Shannon touched on in our first season at the fire, it wasn't overly successful. So I, I, we learnt a lot. And then following that was two years of COVID. It's been a really challenging but a great challenge. And I think that, you know, we made the, the grand final in the hub season um, and that Queensland government partnership. So there's been a lot of positives. Um, professional sport is is incredibly different in some aspects to commercial business, but it, everything really operates under the same. And so, you know, I just tried to apply everything that I, uh, all the tools that I had from my previous experiences and, you know, try to continue to develop the fire as a business and a brand as well as a basketball team. Okay. So does that, does that mean that Shannon was technically your first hire, Sam? He was. He definitely was. And the poor bloke, I think, probably thought that I had a lot more understanding about basketball after he went through the interview process and was successful and accepted the job to move up here. And uh, I think two things. He One of my favourite stories that we don't actually talk about that often is when Shannon was coaching for Sydney and he came up to Townsville for the first time, that crowd that now loves him probably didn't so much then and he copped some grapes people threw grapes at him whilst he was coaching so my very first gift to him when he arrived in town on his first day was a giant bag of grapes on his desk so he he knew what he was in for and yes he had to explain what a pick and roll was to me and that it wasn't a dance move so we've definitely grown across this time but yes he was my first hire Look, considering the way you spoke so beautifully about all your fan engagement stuff that you've implemented with such depth and, um, you know, true meaning behind it with the female role model and your first hire was one of Australia's best coaches, I'm pretty confident you're doing an excellent job so far, Sam, despite the hardships that you spoke about. That's a two from two from me. Thank you. (laughs) And Shannon, you know, well, obviously, you know, you were bombarded with grapes when you would go up there. <laughs> what was the attraction of Townsville for you? Oh, look, you know, it's, as I said before, I think it's, they're one of the most successful clubs, you know, over the last 10 years. And, you know, like I was at that point in time, I was living in Newcastle and, you know, to be honest, we were pretty happy there and all those types of things. And uh, then the news kind of broke that Claudia had decided to step down and, and move away and take up a new position um, as an engineer and, you know, her proper profession, I suppose. You know, I was interested in it and I'd, I'd probably been through the process with a few other clubs and didn't, you know, didn't pick up any, any gigs there back in the WNBL and I didn't really know if it was something that was going to, you know, it was going to happen again. And then, yeah, suddenly that kind of came up and somebody from Townsville sort of reached out to me and sort of said, oh, look, you know, you should chuck your hat in the ring. And so I, I did that. And, you know, I just think it's, you know, like since I've been here, the probably one thing that I would say is it's a very special basketball environment. Like there's just, even when you go um, into Townsville Basketball, the association here in town, and you just think like how many NBL, WNBL, Opals, Boomers, like, have played on the courts here and been here either at junior national championships or with the fire or the, you know, the Townsville Crocs when they were around, you know, it's a really unique environment. And it's somewhere that I, 
I've loved my time at so far. Um, obviously, I love working with Sam and I think we're building something really special here and we've got a really good group of girls, you know, that we've had had around for a few years now that are really bought into the way that we want to do things. And yeah, it's just somewhere that I hope, you know, I hope we can continue to do that and continue to grow and, and hopefully add a few more championships up in the rafters as well. Before we actually get into talking about the way you guys work together, because that's something I'm really interested in. I want to touch on the fact that the club doesn't have the traditional WNBL ownership model. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of how that works? Because personally, I find that really interesting. Yeah, so we are unique. And I'll preference it by saying that I think that probably outside of the model, what makes us unique is that the regional aspect. I think that that's no matter what our ownership structure was, I think that we'll always be really unique because of our location, um, because we are the only professional female sporting team in Northern Australia. Also because of our partnership with the North Queensland Cowboys, we've got a really solid linkage with them, which is great. Community-owned, so we have... It is exactly as it sounds. I don't have a financial owner. There is no backer behind the fire. Um, The fire exists for the community. It is a not-for-profit organisation that is run by uh, board directors who are all volunteer um, and they're all business people from within the region. And, you know, we exist with our sponsorships and our memberships. Okay, it's a not-for-profit. Is this a model where there's community ownership or it's no it's just purely a not-for-profit not-for-profit organization yeah okay i kind of find this really interesting for a whole bunch of reasons not the least of which is it seems to make an awful lot of sense from my point of view and from a business point of view given that you know women's sports particularly and and if it's not a major sport always seems to struggle with this almost a revolving door where, you know, people will come in, they'll put money into a team, and then after a while it's either not profitable or not breaking even or not winning enough, and then something has to happen. One of the things that I've always found interesting about Townsville is there always seems to be that stability. And I know this is going to put you out there a little bit. Do you think that this is a smarter model for the league as a whole? Not talking about specific teams, but just as a general thing. Um, Look, I think that there's pros and cons for every structure and every model. And I think that one thing that really needs to be spoken about is that the level of professionalism within the WNBL is growing at an exceeding pace. You know, and again, the positive is for us is that we have phenomenal sponsorships and we have amazing membership support, but we are a regional centre. So there at some point will be a cap on that. And, you know, the WNBL have done a great job this year of, you know, new sponsors and obviously the new broadcast deal. And, you know, our hope is that as the professionalism of the league grows and every team grows, you know, so will those broadcast deals and so will those type of things because that's what the athletes deserve. I think one of the best parts about our model is when I sit here and I say we exist for this region and we exist to provide healthy female role models and we exist to, you know, hopefully benefit the region and to hopefully, you know, 
something that they can be proud of. I genuinely mean it. And that that is exactly why we exist because there's no one trying to stuff their pockets from it. Not that that does happen from WNBL clubs, (laughs) let's be honest, but that's not the driver. So I think that that puts us in a really unique place. But I think also what is just so beautiful about this club and this region is that I don't think that that would change regardless of what our model is. The North Queensland Cowboys are the only community-owned club in the NRL as well. So, you know, it's something else that ties us us together and that we have in common. But whether I would advise it for the whole league, I don't know. I think because women's sport is growing at such a big rate of knots at the moment that, you know, our number one goal should be ensuring that women's basketball is the top of that list as women's professional sport grows. So however best to make that happen, that is what I believe that we should be doing as a league-wide. Okay. And would it be too far to ask both of you, you know, given the uh, importance of having regional teams and, you know, how successful they are in so many different ways for fans and the community and with the growth of the sport, I guess, where would you potentially see, A, could you see the WNBL starting a, a club in a new location and B, where would you think that location would be or could be? I think growth is really important in in any sport. Obviously, you've just got to make sure that there's a lot of things that can happen with that growth and to ensure that, you know, that there's the players and that what will that do to the other clubs and the, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it's not just like, oh, yeah, Brisbane sounds like a good idea, let's go and do that. And I think the league's done that in the past and it hasn't worked. So I think that they're taking a really smart approach to growth now and and a really patient approach to it and making sure that the eight clubs, I think, uh, Paul, you used it before, is that the fire have always seemed very steady and very secure. And I think that you've got to ensure that the clubs that you've got in place already are all steady and secure and then look for that growth. Shannon, what's your perspective as a former player and, you know, a long-time coach across many different uh, settings and clubs on the same question? I mean, I kind of agree with Sam. I think it's, you know, obviously, um, and Paul kind of refers to this, there's probably in the WNBL right now, there's some clubs that have a lot of resources and there's others that, that don't, you know. So I think it's probably very important. And with as Sam said, with the growth of the league and the player salaries going up and all the, you know, the things around that that continue to increase that, you know, the current clubs are in a, a very good spot to be able to continue to maintain that. You know, because it's, you know, Paul referred to this as well, like sometimes owners come in and then they get they get bored with it and then they handball it off to someone else and so on and so on and so on. And I just think that, you know, that in itself is risky, you know, that all it takes is someone to pull their, their money and then one club folds. So I think that it's really important to make sure that we do that. And then the second side of it for me is, you know, ensuring that we, we have the depth of talent. And I think this is going to start to happen probably over the next five or so years, just with the the massive boom of players that are heading over to college in the States now um, and playing four-year degrees at university and getting developed and those types of things. But I think it's just really important to ensure that we have the depth of talent to maintain a quality of competition. So, you know, whilst I think it's really good we had two or three more teams and there's more opportunity for players to be professional, 
if that then means that the quality of the competition overall is weakened, then I don't know that that's the best thing either because obviously we right now we have one of the best leagues outside of the WNBA in the world in terms of talent um, and national team is one of the best in the world. You know, and I just think the more players we can get in the league would be good, but I think there's there's probably some things that need to happen before that to make sure that we still have a quality competition where we can continue to grow and, and as Sam said, be the number one female sport in Australia. Yeah, I really like what, how you both spoke about essentially ensuring that the league that we have remains sustainable and ensuring that we are providing the best possible for the current athletes we have now, making that stable before looking for expansion. And hopefully, as you said, Shannon, we definitely see a boom in talent graduating from college in the next three to five years. And hopefully the league can uh, yeah, maintain that sustainability and provide what the current athletes need to be true professionals before that boom comes back home, I guess. So tell me, how do you guys find working together? Now, I mean, having seen the WNBL from the inside for a while, it seems to me that the relationship between the general manager and the head coach has to be a really good, solid working relationship. And obviously for each team, it's got its own quirks. How does it work? for the two of you at Townsville. You want to take this, Sam? No, you can go first. I had to answer this first last time. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, uh, to be honest, I feel like it's really easy Um, and it's been that way pretty much since day one. I think, you know, the one thing that I would say that Sam and I have is we trust each other completely, you know, to do our jobs and play our, our roles in this thing. You know, I've just, as I said, I've been at other clubs before and I've been involved in basketball for a fair while now and met a lot of different people along the way. And, and it doesn't always work like this. You know, there's quite often, you know, the, the coach or the GM may have very different philosophies in terms of what they think is best for the team and what players you need to recruit and, you know, where we spend money and all those types of things. And I just think, and I thank Sam for this, but, you know, she, the one thing I would say is I, I just feel like she trusts me 100% with what players we bring to the club, what decisions we make, if we don't re-sign a player, if I want a particular import player or Australian, whatever it may be, I've always found that our conversations are, you know, they're very easy to have. We can be honest with one another, you know, and I think we just work extremely well together. I don't interfere. I'm I'm not smart enough to know any of that anyway. I'm a basketball coach, but I don't interfere on the business side. Like, but I'm always there if she wants to discuss anything on that side or get, you know, thoughts or opinions or anything like that. And then likewise on the basketball side. So I think it's just been, you know, really since day one, I think we've just worked really well together. And it's because we, you know, we probably just have that trust in one another that, you know, like I'm going to trust my gut and I'm going to do what I think is best for the team and she's going to do the same. And, yeah, it seems to work really well. Sam? Yeah, look, I I couldn't agree more. I think we stay in our lanes. I will never and have never tell Shannon how to coach, who to recruit and, and how to go about his job. I think you guys said it before, Jacinda, he's, you, I think actually you said he's one of the best. I think he's the best coach in Australian basketball. So there's no way on uh, God's green earth that I'll be telling him how to do his job. And we do. We have that trust. We probably don't get sick of each other, which is probably a really important factor of it we have to talk a lot and we spend a lot of time having to have lots of different discussions across 
in particular the WNBL season, and it just seems to work. Um, I think we respect each other immensely and their role and what they bring to the organisation, and we both have the same end goal. And I think that that's really important and that stems down to our culture. And if Shannon and I are on the same page with the culture and, you know, our both of our number one rule is, is whether I'm bringing someone in the front office or he's bringing someone on the court or an assistant coach, they must be a good person first. And we fundamentally agree on that. And then everything else, that, as long as that box is tick, everything out of that should fall a little bit easier and a bit more positively for us. I think that we both have a unique way of, you know, doing what we do. And I think we always put trying to be kind and be nice at the forefront of that, which is unique in professional sport also. We both agree on the thing that, you know, when our athletes leave our club, whether that's for an off-season or for another adventure, we want them to leave a better person, not just a better player. And we both take those roles really, really seriously. And I think it's, you know, it's also good I can, when we're speaking, I can bore him to death with my commercial stories and he listens and he promises me he's not bored. And same now, not probably not at the start, but now I can even talk basketball with him. So... <laughs> it has gotten a lot, lot better on that side of things, the basketball side, I can say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think it's that. I think it's, and, you know, it's not just Shannon, it's his entire family. They're part of my family now. We spend Christmases with Jamie and the kids and my children and those type of things together. I'm, you know, he, poor thing, has to have Jamie nagging him at home and then me nagging him when he comes to work. And it's about, like... <laughs> doing things like Shannon, make sure you're doing something outside of just basketball, go fishing, go that. So, you know, I think just it just works. It works really well and, and I think it all comes down to all those things and exactly what Shannon said and it's trust and, and respect. And it's interesting, the buzzword especially, I'm glad you brought up in that, is culture. So a lot of the things you describe, Sam and, and Shannon, about the sense of family, the sense of mutual respect, the sense of being a decent person first, and that's how you kind of identify people, I guess, in recruitment as well. Very much reflected when I spoke to Steph Reed earlier in the year, did an article about her journey to the Opal squad for ABC Sports. She spoke about a lot of the exact same things, almost word for word, Sam. And we culture is something that often comes up when we speak to a lot of people in the basketball world of all different ways of they interact with the game, with coach, administrator, player. And it sounds like that strong culture that you've already implemented into the Townsville Fire has been so successful so far. Um, but when you first came into the role, Sam, was that something that was a challenge? I wouldn't say it was a challenge. It was just something that Shannon and I probably had to make our own. So we were never going to come in and do it exactly as those previous had done to us. And that's not saying that they hadn't done a fantastic job. I think it's also really, really important to mention that Shannon and my first year was also the club's first year without Susie Bakovic. So for a number of years, Susie Bakovic was the Townsville Fire. <laughs> And she drove their culture and their hard work and their work ethic. And she was with a wonderful group around her from Mia and Michaela Cox and, and Rachel Flanagan, as well as fantastic coaches and Richard Goodbodied. So the groundwork was laid, but Shannon and I really had to make it our own and to, you know, and then that took time. So it wasn't that we walked in and it was overwhelming. It was just that we walked in and we took a minute. 
It wasn't that we didn't walk in and go, well, we're going to do it our way. We learned our way. And sometimes you learn your way by making mistakes. And we've done that too. And by hard times. And, and we've had those too. We've also had to navigate two horrific years of COVID. One year where every WNBL club in the country was living here, which I hope never happens again for an array of reasons. But we've had to navigate all of that. So I think through that, but we've always held strong as to who we are as people and what our expectations are. And I think that culture is, you're right, it's a buzzword and it's not just a whole lot of words thrown up on a wall and like that's our culture. We do work on it Shannon and I, you know, it's who we are and we have to implement it from the top. I think it's also important, though, that I don't dictate what the team's culture is and what Shannon wants from them. So that's something that they do privately and that I'm not even involved in and it's something that they work on together and that they, you know, really buy in with and, you know, it's about having really strong leadership groups. And, again, we're also really, really lucky that, we have that partnership with the Australian Defence Force because we work with different groups within that about our culture and resilience program. In the off-season, our entire team abseiled off Mount Stewart and we didn't tell them what they were doing. We just said we have an activity happening tomorrow so we'll see you at the stadium. And I think Lara McSpadden's entire face like fell and her eyes popped out. She was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? I'm like, yep, I'm throwing you off a mountain. But, again, that's all about our culture. And Shannon and I stood there in the sun for three hours, a part of it all. That is all about our culture. And I think that it's little things too. It's, you know, we try to instill in them that you will pick up your tape on the side because you are no better than anyone else in this organization and they should not have to pick up after you. I've seen Shannon filling water bottles. Last year we had an episode where the court was, we had condensation over it. So I was there at 10 o'clock the night before a game mopping it. And my daughter was sending videos to Lauren Nicholson saying how unfair it was that we were there at 10 o'clock at night doing that. But that's what drives a good culture. And it's not just the words, but it's how we act and how we behave and what we drive. And then, you know, my hope is that as long as I can lead that from within my role and how I behave and then Shannon and the team and Shannon does a great job and, you know, I don't need to be reminding everyone else that every player adores playing for him and with him and a big part of that is the culture and who he is as a person and what he's able to create both on and off the court. Now, you mentioned a name, Susie Batkovic. And one of the things about Townsville is that it's always attracted amazing athletes to play for the team. And I look at the, the even the current roster, you've got an, an amazing roster. Do you, either of you, what do you attribute this to? Because the other thing is players tend to stay at Townsville for some time. What do you guys attribute this to? Oh, look, it's, I mean, it's a number of factors. I think it's, um, and I appreciate you, you know, you mentioning our roster this year and it's probably one of the the really interesting things is, and, you know, and obviously we're very, very fortunate we've had Susie, but I think, you know, if you go back and there's been some great players that have played at our club, but I think the one thing that we've always done a really good job of is complementing those great players with elite role players and the right type of people that maybe they don't get, like the Mia Murray, for example, that doesn't necessarily get all of the accolades, but she is the glue of the team and she is the one that when the grand final's on the line steps up and hits six threes and they win that game. Like it's, 
you know, it's the Michaela Coxes that will play and get her nose broken and be there the next day ready to go. I think that's probably the, you know, that's probably the thing for me, you know, because like Susie's the one of the, she's probably the best player that's ever played in the NBL. I mean, the MVP is named after her. So, you know, but I think it's when you have a Susie Bakovic, you always have a chance to win a championship, but then it's what you do to put the pieces with them. And I think, like our team this season, for example, um, and even in the hub season, like we don't have any Opals in our team. And we haven't really, like obviously Lauren's been knocking on the door, Steph's been knocking on the door, um, but Steph came here from Southside as their 11th man and has worked her absolute butt off and she listens and she's a just a phenomenal person and a great kid and, you know, like she wants it so much that she has put the work in while she's been here to elevate her game and get to where she's now gotten to where, but, you know, I think we've, we've had a good start this year, but yeah, we're probably one of the, the few teams in the league that don't have any Opals or anyone that's been to the Olympics or the World Cup or any of those things. And it kind of goes back to um, what Sam was talking about before. We've tried to you know, we're very fortunate we were able to get Lauren here in the hub season, you know, and we're able to put her in a position to do really well and, and play to her strengths. And we're just trying to build a team where it doesn't necessarily need to be filled with stars, but we just have the right pieces and we have the people that buy into what we're trying to do and the way we're trying to play and the culture we're trying to build. And, you know, and if they come and work really hard, then there's opportunity for them to, you know, to show what they can do in this league. And, you know, but I think the culture and the things that underpin that are what allow us to be successful, and I think that's been the case for a, a number of years now. Sam, is there anything you want to add to that one? Um, yeah, look, I think that, you know, you asked me before we, we started about how's the weather up here, and everyone has this perception that it's hot and it's awful, and that, and, and it is a little bit harder. Like, to be really, really honest, it is a little bit harder for us at the start to get them here to get a player to to move from Sydney, from Bondi Beach to go to Townsville. That is a little bit more of a challenge for us. It, it does make it easier when I have Shannon as their head coach, of course. But once they come, they fall in love and they don't want to leave. And I think that, you know, as you said, Suze now lives here. She's a counsellor. Mick lives, like, uh, Mia. Like, there is a such a long and a long list before them that make Townsville their home post their basketball career. And that's because they fall in love with it because they love the – and even you talk to the girls now, Courtney Woods says Townsville is my second home. They love it. They they love the laid-back lifestyle and to play for this club and they feel a real honour from it. So I think that, you know, once we get them here, they just fall in love with it all on their own. The hell of a social club uh, team that you got there up there. A few retired players who have stayed in Townsville. Women's comp on a Tuesday. Line correct, them up. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and look, I, I'm just going to make this as a bit of an observation. There's an awful, and I, I'm going to put this down to partly Shannon's influence. There's a lot of players who have played in Sydney over the years who are now in Townsville. And, you know, I mean, I know that Shannon knows some of these players quite well from days in Sydney. How's that kind of worked out for you, Shannon? Uh, oh, look, I, I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with them being in, in Sydney or anything, but it's, but you know, as you probably go through and, and basketball is a pretty small world, so you start to get to know different people and, and obviously like, 
you know, Lara, I've, ha- I've had the opportunity to coach, you know, in the junior national teams. You know, I coached her at the World University Games. I coached her in the Waratah League in Newcastle. Um, so, you know, I have a relationship there with her through a lot of that. And then obviously seeing her as a, jun- you know, a junior player. And then Lauren, like funny story, she actually, well, it didn't really come about from this, but I think it helped was she actually played with Jamie at the Sydney Flames. So, you know, when Jamie was there and Lauren was uh, probably a teenager just about to decide, she was, you know, deciding to stay and play WNBL or go to college or or whatnot, um, Jamie was actually quite close with her on, on that team. And, you know, I think when, you know, when it kind of came around and, and Jamie's also known Lauren's mum for a long time and, you know, I think assisted, assistant coached with her on a, state, a New South Wales Metro team and, and all sorts of things like this. So you just, you know, you just develop, relationships through basketball or you know from people all around the world and then you know Michaela Roof's another example like you know I coached her uh, I was the coach that brought her out to Australia when I was my first year in Sydney Um, and then foolishly I decided not to re-sign her the following season and but again you you know like I've made a lot of mistakes um, and I've learned a lot of lessons and things uh, as a young coach and that's one of the regrets that I, I had until this year. You know, like I, I think when I was in Sydney, I should have kept her year two. She was great and she fit exactly what I wanted. And, you know, I believed I needed something a bit different. So I did that and, and I regretted it ever since. And, and I'm really fortunate now to have the opportunity to bring her to Townsville and, and coach her again. And she's been a, a massive part of, you know, while we've had some early success. And I think she's going to be a massive part of why hopefully we can compete for a championship this year. And, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I think it's just you build relationships and, you know, you work with different people and then you never know how, how things are going to play out down the track. But it's been really nice to be able to have some of those girls here that I've had some history with in the past. So does that, like you said, do you feel like you redeem yourself now you've re-signed Michaela in Townsville? Or does she still hold it against you, Shannon, that you didn't re-sign her back in Sydney? Oh look, I think I've redeemed myself. We've definitely had a we've had some some jokes and some conversations about that, and she knows how I feel about it and I, my regret and all those things. But no, look, she's um Michaela's been phenomenal. She's a just ultimate professional. Works as hard as anybody, and you know, and I think she just does all the things that you want as a coach to, that contributes towards winning. So. You know, I'm I'm thrilled that she's back here, and and yeah, I'm really glad that I can redeem myself as well. And you talked again about relationships and you've both talked so nicely about, you know, the importance of, you know, having the strong culture and, you know, having decent people around you to form a successful team. I think your how you spoke, Shannon, about, you know, you've got a few people in your current roster that you had previous relationships and friendships with. And I think that really reflects how important knowing people on and off of the court can pay off to how your team is successful and how your team dynamic plays out on the court as well. It's not always so much just who's got the best roster on paper, who's got the biggest budget to spend. It's a little bit of that money ball situation of finding the right people that complement each other to get the best out of each other as well, like you said before. So that's probably something that I really admire about your rosters and especially your roster this season. So when it comes to recruiting some of the imports like you have Carly Samuelson and Tiana Hawkins, how much is that part of the conversation of having role players and uh, your emphasis on having a more holistic approach to putting your roster together? 
Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a. It's a. It's not an exact science, and I think this has been the. I've. I reckon. You know, moving to Townsville and taking this opportunity has been the best thing I've ever done. I think in my basketball life because I've learned so much over the last. You know, well, it's my fourth season now, so let's say four seasons, and I've seen. You know, I've seen the result of good recruiting. I've seen the result of not so good recruiting. I've seen. You know, I've seen the importance of. You know, as you said, like just getting the right complementary players. Um, I've seen the importance of really being careful with the type of people that you recruit. You know, like in terms of where we're trying to go longer term as a club and and those types of things. And it's yeah, it's it's definitely not an exact science. Um, and I think particularly when it comes to signing, you know, your import players, it's a lot harder to probably judge or get intel on into what they're like as people, what they're like as basketballers, what their work ethics is like, will they come and fit into, you know, the culture that we have and, you know, are they willing to go and do the things in the community that Sam spoke about earlier that make us the club that we are, you know, and I think this year, you know, we've been very fortunate, obviously did a lot of research and and things like that into the people that we brought in, but, um, you know, Carly Samuelson, is a teammate of Michaela Roos from Stanford. So, you know, so I knew with great confidence that, you know, she was going to be a phenomenal person, number one. And then obviously she comes from a pedigree at Stanford where, you know, they don't spit out bad basketball players. So, you know, so I knew she was going to fit well. And and to be honest with you, like the first day she got here, it felt like she'd been with us for three seasons. Um, you know, she slotted in amazingly. And, you know, I think all, all the girls on the team absolutely love her. And then... You know, Tiana Hawkins, you know, when we had the opportunity to sign her, I did some research and, you know, probably the one thing that stood out was normally you speak to people in basketball and they speak very negatively, especially in Australia, but, um, they, you know, they tend to lean towards the negative on people. Oh, they're not this or they're not that. Not one bad thing was said about Tiana Hawkins. You know, the worst I could find was, oh, she'll commit a hard foul every now and then. And I was like, well, that's cool. I can deal with that. Like... You know, and I think that, yeah, it's interesting, like the WNBA and the culture over there and things is is very different to in our league. But it's probably one comment that was made to me was, oh, no one really speaks about her in the WNBA. And I thought, oh, that's an odd thing to say. And the, I sort of asked them to elaborate and they said, oh, no, that's that's a good thing because obviously the culture is a little bit um, negative. And so they're not talking about her. It means that she's not bothering anyone and, she, you know, she's a great teammate and, you know, she's played with Leilani Mitchell before with the Washington Mystics and, you know, she takes a great leadership role in that club. And, and I just knew talking to her as well the first time I spoke to her that she was going to be a great fit here with us and, you know, and she's been exactly that. You know, I think she took a, a bit of time to get comfortable. Um, she's brought her son over here. Um, with her from from America and obviously going to a new place and um, new people, all those things can be very daunting. But I think now that she's settled in and she's comfortable, she's been a tremendous fit and has certainly helped us on the court win games, but she's been a great fit in the locker room and, and with all of our younger players like the Lara McSpaddens, et cetera, as well, and, and really mentoring them and, and it's added a lot, um, a lot to our team. So... Yeah, so they, those two have been great. And then obviously we've we've been really lucky now to probably sign and develop over the last few years a, a young core led by Lauren Nicholson and now Steph Reed that, you know, I think you're going to take our club into the future as well. 
one of the things I found interesting watching the team play is the girls have all seemed to have gelled really well. And more importantly, they seem to play a very, they don't seem to play a, a selfish style of basketball. How much of this do you put down to the culture that you guys have developed at the team? A lot of it, I think, you know, and I, I think like cultures that were, like Sam said, it gets sort of thrown around a lot. Everyone talks about it. But the thing for us with our, you know, like our team culture and our core values and the things that we, you know, that I've kind of come up with in my time here that I think really, you know, that are going to help us, it's they're all directly related to on and off court success. So the one thing for me that when we sign a player or we think about bringing a player in, that's the first thing we kind of look at is are they going to tick these boxes and the, the first one for me is, um, like, we want players that give relentless effort. So, like, you know, Lauren Nicholson, I think, epitomises that. You know, she's just hard-nosed, great defender, always does the tough stuff. Michaela Roof does that. Steph Reed does that. You know, and then the players that maybe didn't necessarily do that as much, because we have so many players that are like that, now they, they're jumping on board and doing it as well. So, you know, our practices are extremely competitive, almost to the point where, got to like separate people and you know that sort of thing because they're just going so hard and everybody wants to win but you know that's something that you know that I think directly impacts winning you know if we play harder than the other team every game we have a chance to win the second thing for me is we just call it professional excellence so we want people that that come in and they do all the things Sam said so they pick the towel up off the ground they don't leave the rubbish there after training they go and do their recovery if they need to they come and get extra shots up and work with the coaches before and after training. You know, they read the scout, they do all these things, they go and turn up when they're meant to at the schools and do all those things. So that's a really big thing, you know, for us. And then probably the thing, Paul, that you talked about is the last one, which we just call, and I kind of ripped it from the Golden State Warriors, to be honest with you, but we just call it strength in numbers. You know, and basically for us, that means being able to put the team's needs above your own. So that real we before me type mentality. So, you know, we want people that think about others that are happy when their teammates are having success, even if they're not having the best game. Or, you know, if a Steph Reed gets called into the Opals and things, we celebrate that as a group. And, you know, so that's been a really big thing. And, and when we recruit players and we sort of go through that process each year, that's probably the first thing that gets looked at is, are they going to come in and tick those three boxes? And if they don't tick all three, can we get them to be able to do that once they're in our environment? So, you know, I think we've got a lot of players. Like Courtney Woods is probably the one that I would pat on the back the most right now that, you know, when she first came here to Townsville, she was out of college. She had no idea what it meant to be a pro player. She just thought it was turn up and shoot the ball and, and spray up shots in the games and do all that. And over the past probably 18 months, she's really like really learned what it means to be a professional. And I think she really values that now. And she's probably the one person like um, in our team that doesn't get enough credit because all preseason this year, she was the one every day turning up, giving the relentless effort, showing the professional excellence and being the best teammate. And I think she's, you know, she's a real player that's going to be a big player for our club, you know, moving forward for years to come. 
I really like that sense of professional excellence too because it also not only kind of demonstrates a commitment to a professional level of your team and your teammates in a club, but also the level of discipline that's required. And I think those examples you both used of, you know, you're no better than anyone else, pick up your tape, clean up after yourself, turn up on time. That's those other almost like non-basketball, non-clinical levels of professionalism that are super important. And that level of discipline, I don't think kids realize that that stuff's still important because that level of discipline transfers to who you are as a player on the court. So having, like you said, Sam, the positive female role models of seeing, you know, some of the these players that these kids would idolize, like your Steph Reeds and Loz Nicholson, still doing those little things of picking up your rubbish, you know, looking after your teammates, turning up on time is also like a really, really positive thing for them to see as people as well. Just that that discipline. I, I think a lot of that stuff is missed when you're coaching kids as well. They just think also you just turn up, you train, you go home, someone will pick up my shoes for me, someone will drop me off. But it's that other level of discipline when you go home that's important for your game as well. So I love all that stuff that you guys are, are talking about. It's also professional excellence for us is also a level of gratitude and it's a level of gratitude of you get to play basketball or I get to, you know, do my job as a job. And, and I think I've heard Shannon say it to the players before, if you could go back and talk to 12-year-old you and say your job is going to be to play basketball, how a 12-year-old you feel about that? And we instill that in the players so that they have that joy and that gratitude every day that that is what they get to do because that's what resonates to those younger kids that come and watch us and I think you know Paul you said it before they look like they gel they also look like they're having a lot of fun when they are playing they look like and that is because it is it's that gratitude of this is what we get to do we get to go in an arena that has you know two and a half thousand people hopefully more this week, um, but two and a half thousand people cheering us on that that gets to happen. And that is also a part of that professional excellence. Okay. So before we kind of wind things up, I wanted to just touch on the start to the season. You guys have gotten off to a great start. And given the level of competitiveness that we're having in the WNBL, did you think that you would get off to the start that you've gotten to? I mean, I hope to. <laughs> I was hoping to. No, look, it's, you know, I, I kind of looked at this season before it started and, you know, we've been fortunate to have our first four games are going to be at home. So you want to win as many of those as you as you can. But, you know, looking at, at the league probably, you know, two months ago, it was, I felt that the competition was wide open this year. You know, I think that all the rosters people have put together and probably with, you know, the Ezzies and Lindsay Allens and Jackie Young's not returning. I just felt like the competition was, you know, really wide open and we knew that it was going to be important to get off to a good start. So, you know, Sam's got to put up with me like being all paranoid about our preseason and trainings and getting the players here as quickly as we can and when's Tiana coming and all these different things because I knew that it was important to us for what we're trying to achieve this year to get a good start and put ourselves in the right, you know, in the right place um, from the get-go. And, you know, I think the the league's um, very open this year. I think anyone can beat anyone on any given night. You know, the, I'd be surprised if there's not some roster changes and things as the season goes and teams start making adjustments and, and whatever. But, 
but you know we love the team that we've got um you know it's probably and this is not a knock on any team I've ever coached but I just turn up to work every day and I cannot wait for training to start and it's Sam said it but we're very lucky to do what we do but it doesn't always feel like that you know sometimes it's a grind sometimes it's you know you just oh, I just don't want to do it today or whatever it is but you know um, for whatever reason, or maybe we haven't trained well and I'm anxious and frustrated that I want the next session to be better. But every single day this year has been just so fun to turn up to and, you know, and get to work with this team and these these players that we have. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, it's a really exciting um, time. We're really happy to start 3-0, and but we obviously want to keep that going. And, you know, it's great we get a chance to play Bendigo, who are the other team that are undefeated right now um, this week, which I think will be, you know, a good measuring stick for us. It's not like the most important thing in the world that we win. We want to win it, but it's going to be a good measuring stick. And, you know, hopefully we can cap off these first four games at home with four wins and, and get our season rolling. Hashtag of the week. <laughs> I'll uh, answer your question, Paul. I'm not surprised. And okay. I think that, and that is only because, and, and I, 2020 is a great reference for this. Everyone else bar our team was surprised that we were in the grand final. So we tend to have this ability to fly a little bit under the radar, which we're very happy to do. But in that 2020 season, I think it might have been maybe the third or fourth game in, Shannon, correct me if I'm wrong. And he said to me, I think we'll go all the way this year. And I was like, oh, okay, good. And so from that point on, I was like, well, that's probably what's going to happen. And that comes down to that trust for us. And when everyone else, and I think that there was a moment at the even the awards of it where it was the day before the grand final and whoever the MC was was Townsville. Wow, who would have thought you were here, would be here? And literally our entire table of our team were all like, well, we all did. And I think it's a really nice, it's not a cocky place to be it's a confidence in each other and what Shannon's you know trying to create and there's a long season to go there's an absolute long season to go and a lot of things to do but from I have a blessed position to sit and have Shannon as the head coach so I'm never surprised with success I will also say that they we keep getting told this stat that uh, this is the fire's best start to a season since the 14-15 season so that'll be, you know, and, and interestingly, Shannon, I heard last night that it's Bendigo's best start since the 13-14 season. So we're both, you know, in an interesting, yeah, correct, which makes Friday night even more fun and exciting. Mm. And whether we win or lose, I think, is, you know, as Shannon always says, as long as we play hard, that's our priority. Okay. So, look, before we, we wind up the show, we always have a, a slightly unscripted question. In fiction... There's lots of famous pairs, you know, Holmes and Watson, <laughs> Batman and Robin. So out of all the duos that you can think of, which one best describes you guys? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm hand that one right to you, Shannon. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> Um, gee, that's a good question. I I think we needed that one before the show because I need some time to prepare for that. I I do not know. Sam, have you got any ideas? No. You guys, have you got any ideas? Because I'm. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get way too over analytical with these types of things, so I'm almost someone like I would have to 
you know, think of all of the possible dynamic viewers <laughs> I can think of and then make a decision. I'm not very good at spontaneously thinking, oh, this is who they remind me of or this is how they complement each other. Oh, yeah, that's a toughie. Um, I mean, could you almost be like Han Solo and Chewbacca because they're pretty good in terms of working together and they've always got each other's backs? Which one of us is Chewbacca? <laughs> <laughs> and look, to be fair, I have a I have a Grogu from Mandalorian on my desk. Maybe that's why the Star Wars duo came to mind straight away. I mean, Chewie has some great qualities about them. So, despite only being able to growl, so that's that's not like a that's not a throwing shade at anyone. Um, I've never watched Star Wars, so I can't comment. Okay, okay, <laughs> cool. So we won't go with that one. We won't go with that one. <laughs> uh, very good all right well we'll let, we'll let one slide but guys thank you so much it's been great talking to you both it's been great getting an insight into the townsville fire and also just understanding how you guys are working to develop the team and grow the engagement and how you are currently engaging with your community it's really been fantastic thank you so much for joining us on the show Thank you for having us. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.